Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, your guide to the fundamentals of better deer hunting. And now, your host, Tony Peterson. Hey everyone, welcome to the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and today I'm going to talk about kicking off the bow season and what you should do if your early season hunting doesn't go as planned. The thing about whitetails, hunting whitetails anyway, is that it rarely goes as planned. That's why the best of the best scout so much. They know it's a necessity, and if they do they might find one of those magical in-the-moment spots where they can point to the stands Babe Ruth style and call their shots. Most of the time when you do that whitetail-wise, you don't end up taking a slow jog around the bases while the crowd showers you in adoration. Instead, you do that kind of sad Charlie Brown walk back to the dugout after a strikeout. And I use that example specifically because I saw a guy named Aaron Foreman do that in Little League one time. And that sucks, but it happens. What you do when it does happen, that's what matters though. And usually, it's pretty common during the first week of the season. So that's what this episode is really all about. One of the things I enjoy most in life is something that I just didn't see coming. I mean, if you went back in time and asked me, I don't know, 10 years ago, if I'd ever coach any sport for any reason, I'd have said you're off your rocker there, Betty Crocker. But now with my little girls in basketball and softball, I love coaching. Maybe it's just my competitive nature or something else. I don't know, but I just enjoy it so much. Well, uh, most of the time. Last year, after a regular basketball house league where we did pretty well, my wife mentioned that she wanted the girls to do a taste of travel league. 
Now, I'm sure this is the case in an awful lot of places, but if you're a suburb dweller in the Twin Cities like I am, people take traveling basketball very, very serious, even with third and fourth graders. Now, I didn't know this until we went to our first tournament, and there, we actually managed to get third place out of six teams, but we played some teams that were pretty bad, which helps a lot. We also played one team that was so much more advanced than us, it was a freaking miracle that we scored at all. And I mean, we barely did score. And then we went to another tournament and like every team there was that good. Then we went to another. And again, we got stomped. We got smoked. We didn't stand a chance. Now, I don't mind playing up to see some real competition and to learn a thing or two, but I'm also 42 and I've dealt with a fair amount of loss and failure in a hell of a lot of different forms in my life. For nine and 10 year olds, staring down the barrel of an absolute ass whooping, it was a lot to handle. You could see during warmups, the look on the girls' faces as they watched the opposing teams exhibit a level of basketball skills that were just beyond our crew. Our girls were defeated between their ears before the ref ever blew the whistle and lined up the teams to kick off the game with a jump ball. And to be fair, the girls really weren't wrong. We were outclassed, mostly, but not all the time. We had a few games where we could have stayed in there and maybe, maybe squeaked out a win. But we didn't, and we didn't even get close because they expected failure, and they leaned right into it. I bet you might be able to guess where I'm going with this. It's whitetail hunting is a game of failure. Hell, all hunting usually is. And if it isn't, it's actually not that fun. I know a sure thing sounds amazing, but an awful lot of folks who have a sure thing or as close as you can get to a sure thing hunting-wise, they tend to give up hunting after a while. We need a challenge. We need hard but achievable goals. But we also need to recognize how we deal with the inevitable failure that comes along with whitetail hunting. It's everywhere in the woods, just waiting for you. Failure gets carried in on the breeze, right into a deer's waiting nose. It's in the slight squeak in your stand, that squeak that you should have taken care of before the season, but you didn't because you didn't think it'd be a big deal. It's in the panic of the moment when you just are compelled to draw your bow at the wrong time when he's looking up at you, facing your way. Failure is the devil on your shoulder that convinces you to hit the snooze button, or worse, just roll over and go back to sleep because you talk yourself into believing that since it's a, I don't know, a full moon or since it's pretty windy or whatever, that there are better uses of your time than hiking through the woods in the dark to sit in a stand and probably not kill a deer. Failure is the best friend of that little deer hunting devil perched on your shoulder, holding a mini pitchfork who says that maybe tonight the good one you had on camera in August will just magically show up in front of the field edge stand that you've already sat seven times and you've burned right to the ground. If you think I'm being facetious, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. The whole reason I'm any good at whitetail hunting, which really seems to vary by the day and the sit and the season, is that I've failed so much. When I turned 15, I got permission to hunt a farm in Minnesota that was a young buck factory. Now, I can't remember the exact number of forkies and basket rack sixes and eights that I missed that season, but I'm confident it was in double digits. That was a lot of failure crammed into a small season. Or more recently, 
I spent some time hunting in northern Wisconsin for a deer. Just a deer. Doe, buck, whatever. I had tags for both, and I had some space in my freezer. And over the course of three weeks, I sat probably, I don't know, nine or ten times, or at least part of nine or ten days over there. Mostly on public land, but some on private. And I never saw a deer during that whole span. And when I say I never saw one, that's what I mean. I wasn't passing on deer. I wasn't watching them browse through the far side of a clear cut. I mean, I never saw a single freaking deer. That's a shot to the old deer hunting ego, my friends. When that bad spell finally broke, I managed to arrow an old long-nosed doe on a track of public land that has mostly kicked my ass. And I'll tell you what, it was so wheat. Another time, if you want another example of how bad I can be, happened in South Dakota while trying to kill a doe and a buck on public land. I sat six times in spots that I fully believed in, fully believed in. And you know what I saw? I saw mostly cows, and one day I had five coyotes come through together. I don't know, maybe I saw a crow or a blue jay or something too, but I didn't see any deer. I couldn't lay eyes on a deer, and that was in a place with good visibility and a great deer population. But on the fourth day, I did see a deer. In fact, I saw a doe and a buck, and I killed both of them within 10 minutes of one another. It happens like that. This is mostly failure with these random little bouts of success. That's what makes deer hunting deer hunting. And you might be experiencing that right now with many of the whitetail seasons open up across the country. And I think the first week or two of the season is really the best time to address failure for what it is and just move on. You want to know why? Because all summer long, you know, we run cameras. We scroll through photos of velvet-racked bucks. We build a plan around those images. We scout. We scout more than any other time of the season. We e-scout. We walk our deer spots. We get into the freaking preseason groove. And we shoot a lot. More than any other time of the season. We organize our gear. We pack our packs. We wash our clothes. We prep and we prep and we prep. We hang stands. We brush in blinds. We do all of this work so that we can hit the ground running. But you know what mostly happens? We don't kill deer. Oftentimes, we don't see deer. Or we don't see the deer we were really hoping to see. So in that way, we fail. And you know what that failure reminds us of? All the past seasons where we've had similar results. The anticipation is so high that the letdown, if it comes, it's pretty bad. The best laid plans turn out to be turd sandwiches. And that old familiar feeling comes creeping right back in. Do you know what's almost worse than not seeing deer or killing a buck when you have put in so much work? Actually having him come in and then either spooking him or missing him. That's a big time failure in a lot of ways. Now, when you're in the, I don't know, shoot a scrapper stage, yeah, a miss hurts. But at least you know that another dink six pointer might walk down the trail through the season. Probably will. When you have your heart set on a, I don't know, 140 incher and he shows up and then he busts you or you shoot over him, it's not so likely that he or another buck of his caliber is going to show up for the rest of the season. In my experience, it's not super likely even if you have tons of time to put in. One or two good encounters throughout the season is often all we can ask for, and boy does it sting when you piss that right down your leg. But you know what's crazy about that? 
Uh, it happens. It happens all the time. It happens to weekend warriors with one bow season under their belt. And it happens to seasoned veterans with a whole trophy room full of mature public land buck mounts. It might happen to the last category of hunters a little less than the former, but that doesn't mean it doesn't still happen because it does. But you know what's different about those hunters though? They understand that it's a part of the deer hunting game. They understand that their job is to mitigate the ways in which they cause their own failures because there are enough variables out there that aren't in their control that will tank the best of deer hunting plans. They understand that cliched statement that goes something like failing to plan is planning to fail, except in a way they do plan to fail in the big picture sense, but they also plan to win on a smaller scale with every sit, with every scouting trip and every hunt. They're hoping to learn something, something that can be put to good use now or in the future. Enough of those somethings, and you guess what? You have a hunt that is not a failure on the big picture scale. Let me frame this up a different way to drive this point home. Let's say it's time for you to pick up a new Labrador Retriever puppy. So you research some pedigrees, you do your due diligence, and you settle on a litter that should have the kind of blood you're really looking for. And at eight weeks, you pick up an adorable little sausage-legged pupster. You take it home, and you think about all the birds you'll shoot over him. All the ducks and the roosters, the grouse, woodcock, whatever. You think about all the shed antlers you'll train him to vacuum up during those winter scouting trips. But that little puppy doesn't know anything other than what his instincts tell him. He knows he likes to pick up stuff in his mouth. He likes to run around a little, chew on stuff. He likes the smell of a rooster or grouse feather. But he doesn't know what you want out of him yet. In fact, he's mostly just an adorable idiot. My wife's uncle likes to say that you can look right into a puppy's eyes and see all the way to its asshole because there's nothing in between. But there is. And there is the chance to help him learn simple behaviors that can be daisy-chained to bigger, more desirable, more complex behaviors. Take a simple retrieve, for example. A good dog is a steady dog with rock-solid recall and the understanding that if he is to hold an object, he is to hold an object. There's no spitting it out to sniff where other dogs peed. There's no dropping it three yards from your feet. It's delivered a hand or nothing. So you start with some steadiness with that puppy, maybe some healing work. You make the pup wait a few seconds to eat so he learns a little patience. You encourage retrieving desire, but really only to stoke the flames and keep him wanting more. You don't want to overdo it. And you work on recall with a check cord and a handful of kibble. In a way, you're working on several different behaviors that eventually will all coalesce into the kind of retrieve you want. Eventually, that pup will be a dog that heals at your side and marks the bumper, waits for the release, takes a straight line to it, comes back to heal, and waits until you say drop or give before he gently places the bumper in your hand. Deer hunting is like that in a weird way. You have to fail at setting stands to learn how to set them better. You have to fail at timing your draw when a deer is close to learn how to read when exactly you need to get that bow back to your face. You have to rattle at the wrong bucks to know what might make the right bucks come in. You have to cheat the wind a little, a little too much, to listen to a bunch of snorts from some mama does 
to learn what you can get away with and what you can't. You got to shoot under a few and over a few more to learn where to aim and how to aim during the moment of truth and how to read a buck that might jump the string. You have to develop a badass, no way can this fail opening week plan only to have it fizzle and sputter out right before your eyes to learn how to develop a better plan for next year and how to cope with that failure and how to just move on from it to week two of the season and then week three or whatever. And this part, this is one that is most important. You have to learn to let those failures just go. Like a toxic person in your life who always drags you down, even though you want to like them, or hell, you even love them so much, but you got to let that shit go, my friends. You have to learn from that. You have to use it to inform better decisions in the future. Failure in the woods, it's like that. It's actually valuable. In fact, it might be the most important aspect of becoming a good deer hunter. And listen, the big wins, they're sweet too. The first big buck you kill, that one is going to stick with you in an awful lot of ways. And man, is it nice. But developing as a deer hunter is an awful lot like how we use and view social media. No one posts the boring stuff, the little stuff on Instagram. All right, some people do, but they are freaking psychos. They're the people who post every meal they eat, as if anyone in the world cares what a stranger had for breakfast. They're the ones who post, I don't know, pictures of their freshly painted toenails or a stupid selfie while fishing of every single bass they catch, even if it's an eight-incher that couldn't barely pull down a bobber. Aside from those Looney Tunes folks, social media is mostly the curated big wins of life that people post. You know, the weight loss journey, the the personal best cutthroat trout, <clears throat> ahem, Mark Kenyon, the enormous buck where they sit cross-legged style and gaze longingly into its dead eyes while someone frames up the image with some soft focus vegetation in the foreground and maybe, I don't know, maybe the setting sun in the background. Most of life isn't social media worthy, just as most of hunting isn't a big event one way or the other. Most of the time we scout and hunt, it's not really going to result in one of our worst days any more than it'll be the day that we finally arrow a 200-incher so we can see our smiling faces on the cover of North American Whitetail magazine. It's the the middle-of-the-road boring stuff that makes up most of life and most of deer hunting. And in that stuff, there's an awful lot of failure. But that's also an awful lot of opportunities to improve. It's good to get comfortable with that failure. Invite it in for a nightcap. Have a little conversation to tease out the value with it and then send it on its way. I guess I, I really want you to think about that as we slide into this most wonderful time of the year. The time of year when we finally get to do more than scout, and more than shoot, more than just think about what the deer are doing out there. We get to hunt them. We get to go sit in trees, and we get to watch the sun rise, and hopefully hear a stick crack in the distance, or see that too-big-to-be-a-squirrel movement in your peripheral vision that tells you a deer has entered the game. And it's time to focus on what could become the next best few minutes of your life. And if it goes wrong, which it mostly will, who cares? There's a lesson there that will help you the next time and the time after that. And at some point, that buck that surprises you by showing up when you're not paying attention, he's going to go for a ride home in the back of your truck. And you'll get to shoot some hero photos and post them up for the world to see. To show them you're not a failure, at least not today. And that's pretty freaking sweet, my friends. 
Learn from your failure. Accept it. It's okay. You're going to get better because of it. And we're all going through it. Now, next week, I'm going to get into the topic of hunting one target buck, of setting your sights on a ride or die deer. That's the only one you're going to pick up your bow or rifle for and how that can make for a great season or an absolutely miserable fall. That's it, folks. I'm done for this week. This has been the Wired to Hunt Foundations podcast, which is brought to you by First Light. I'm your host, Tony Peterson, and I just want to say thank you so much for listening and for your support. I really appreciate it. And if this episode didn't quite scratch the itch enough for you, feel free to head on over to themediator.com slash wired to read some articles written by myself or Mark or a whole slew of whitetail killers. And you can also drop into our Wired to Hunt YouTube channel to check out the weekly how-to videos that we throw up every single week to help you become a better hunter. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. I'm sure a lot of you guys remember the old ceremonial hunting tradition of eating the heart out of the first animal you kill. Meat from those organs are among the most nutrient-rich foods on the planet. You can get those same benefits your ancestors craved via convenient daily capsules from Heart and Soil. Find out more at heartandsoil.co. And remember, use code MEATEATER for 10% off your purchase.